Thank you, Jim. How's everybody doing today? Good? All right. Good, because it's about to get really challenging, y'all. Just saying, welcome to church. So we have been on a journey, and it's not stopping today. Much to my chagrin, I didn't want to to prepare this message today uh, just because I've never reached this part of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. Every time I've set out to, you know, teach youth kids about it or, you know, talk to people in church about it, I've never reached this section. And we've been on a journey through the Gospel of Matthew. We discovered Jesus as King we covered the Christmas story before. It's going to be cool in a couple of weeks to cover the Christmas story. Um, and we talked about the early life of Jesus and what prepared him for his ministry. We even read about, you know, Jesus calling his disciples um, and how he chose them. And he uh, is preparing them through this moment on through the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> We've been going through this series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the Kingdom Manifesto. It's a really fancy way of saying Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and Jesus is wanting to lay out for his followers what the culture of God's kingdom is, to clear up any misconceptions there might be about the kingdom of God. Because for the people of Israel, they had an assumption that the kingdom meant the kingdom of Israel, that God's purposes was only ever through Israel. And while I'm not going to negate that whatsoever, because as we talked about last week, Jesus made very clear he's not going to abolish the law or the prophets. And so God's promises to Israel still stand. But what we will discover today is that we're going to be starting, uh, we're not going to get very far before we're interrupted, but uh, in the next couple of weeks, but, you know, thanks to Advent and Christmas and all that, but we're going to be starting in the Sermon on the Mount six case studies about what the culture of God's kingdom is like. So we've gotten this picture the last three or four weeks where God has been telling us through Jesus and through, you know, his teaching there on the mountain, he is describing to us, he's setting the stage for how different God's kingdom is going to be and how different God's kingdom is. And now we're getting down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> we're getting down to the point where God's going to actually tell us, okay, this is what this means. And Buckle up, everybody, because it's going to be a wild ride, uh, the times that we talk about it, because Jesus is going to challenge our preconceived notions, and he's going to expound on the law. He's not going to replace the law. He's not going to abolish it, like we talked about last week. He's going to fulfill it and reinterpret it so that we know what God's kingdom is going to be like. So, Richard, you can go to the next slide. The title for today's message is called Reconciliation. 
Our passage today is going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. And the big idea that we're going to be talking about today is right relationships require reconciliation. Now, you might be wondering, but Tim, what if things are all good? <laughs> well, I would say to that, we all need reconciliation. We're all sinners, and we all need you know, that's part of the fall is that there is naturally experienced in this life brokenness, which means that we need to be brought back together again, uh, both with the people around us and with God. Amen? Amen. So right relationships require reconciliation. When I was growing up, when I would be home from school in the middle of the day, my mom, right before the soap operas would come on, we would watch Perry Mason. And that became one of my favorite shows because it followed the same pattern every single time. There'd be some crime, there'd be some situation, and Raymond Burr, the guy who played Perry Mason, he would go about trying to discover as an attorney what happened, who done it. And so, and without fail, you'd you'd think, okay, maybe it's this person. Nope, it's not that person. Maybe it's that person. Nope, here's why it's not that person. And so then there's this moment in the courtroom at the end of every single show where Perry Mason is grilling the person, cross-examination. It was you at the, at the ice cream parlor with the, you know, like the, the clue kind of thing. Like he was saying, it was you. And then the person crumbles and they're like, you're right, it was me. It was and almost always, without fail, just as much as there's a pattern to the entire episode, always, it was because of some grudge that a person had with whoever was wronged, and they would crumble, and then they would end up going to jail, and then Perry would, you know, debrief with his cohort and they'd be like, you did it again, Perry. And so, and then the show would end and then we'd be on to One Life to Live. So um, that, that was my, that was the rhythm, especially in the, the summertime. So we're, that's my really great way of introducing this topic of anger that Jesus is going to be talking about. Now, the cool thing, the reason we have Charlton Heston up here with the, the Ten Commandments is that within the nation of Israel, they had this story that they told over and over again. God's word prescribed that they tell it over and over again. And it was the story of the Exodus, how God saved them out of slavery and brought them into the promised land. And there's this part within that story where Moses, as the deliverer, the savior, prototype, was going up the mountain to receive word from the Lord, to receive the law from the Lord. Now, what Matthew does, we haven't talked about this in a while, but Matthew, his audience for the Gospel of Matthew, the, the lens he's looking at the life of Jesus through is through the life and worldview of a Jewish person. And so what 
Matthew is trying to do is he's trying to show how Jesus is like a second Moses, where especially with the Sermon on the Mount moment, just as Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law of the Lord, Jesus went up on the mountain with his followers to give the law of the Lord and to interpret the law. And so he does that with his followers, and we've been covering that the last few weeks. I'm not going to do any more review than that, but here we go. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. You're probably already there. My Bible's in 2 Timothy. I don't know why that's happening, but here we are. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Jesus speaking to his disciples, saying, quote, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Pause right there. All right. So what Jesus is doing here is, like we talked about last week, Jesus is not abolishing the law. He's quoting the law there. He's saying, you've heard it was said, you shall not murder. That's number six in the Ten Commandments, by the way. It made it to the top ten, and it even made it into our justice system today. You shall not murder. And so he quotes that. He's not abolishing that, but he goes on to expound it. And what's really cool about this is Jesus is using a way of teaching that rabbis would do in that day because that was his profession at the time. That's why he had followers who were following him. He wasn't just popular on Twitter, but uh, he, he had disciples who were following him, learning from him, all of that. And so rabbis would say, you have heard it said, da 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 but I tell you, or but I say to you. And it was just this common way of teaching. So let's continue. All right. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, because we all do that, right? And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Hmm. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and Perry Mason might be the lawyer and DA, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Welcome to church, everyone. All right. So, the first thing we learn from our passage, if you're taking notes, is that reconciliation means, Richard, you can go to the next slide, seeing the outcome 
of our anger and choosing a different way. Seeing the outcome of our anger and choosing a different way. There are three kinds of anger that are listed here. Well, actually, hold on. Pause. Within Scripture, there are two ways of looking at anger. There is the quick outburst. That's like when, <laughs> uh, like when my kids throw a ball at me like they did this week, and I just like, I don't know, erupt, right? That kind of thing. Um, that would be a quick outburst of anger. Then there's the slow simmer. There's the you're always angry like, uh, like the Incredible Hulk is always angry, right? Uh, that's, that's a Marvel Cinematic Universe thing for y'all. Anyway, I digress. And so there are these two different types of anger. Jesus is talking about the slow simmer. He's talking about the grudge, the resentment, the, the way that you feel towards somebody not because feelings in and of themselves are wrong, but because it's what we do with those things. So here are a few examples from Scripture about anger. So in 1 John, the apostle writes, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Also, uh, the apostle James wrote, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself on fire by hell. Ouch. And so there's these different kinds of anger. And what Jesus is getting at here, he's focusing on one particular type. Uh, now, for some of your translations, if some of you are into the whole King James thing, I'm not personally, I have my reasons, but like, it's still the word of God. But what some translators have done is they've added in the words, uh, do not be angry without cause. Now, in the original text, most of the texts that we have, they don't have those words. But the implication is that it's, that there are certain reasons to be angry and certain reasons not to be angry. And so Jesus is talking about a slow simmer grudge. Go to the next slide. All right, which is giving us this forensics look. How many of you like the show CSI? Anybody, show of hands? I used to. Um, since starting college, I just lost the time to, to keep track of like the 10 billion versions of CSI that there are. But what I love about it is that what I love about those whodunits, right? The reason I love Perry Mason and the reason I love CSI or other shows like them is because you're getting to the heart of the matter. You're trying to figure out what is it that is causing this crime to happen? What, what motivated them? In using kind of the more traditional language of the Old Testament, it's that malice aforethought, right? It's that what was going on inside of them that caused them to act in that way. And so Jesus lists three things in verse 22, right? He says, but anyone who's angry with a brother or sister, that's that holding a grudge, resentment sort of thing, will be subject to judgment. So uh, 
some translations say libel, <laughs> which isn't helpful at all, but uh, it says libel, uh, which means you're responsible for judgment. You are guilty of murder, like it said in, I think it was First John or uh, uh, James 3, where it talks about, you know, that person is a murderer. Now, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Raka was like a four-letter word in, in the first century, and it basically just meant that that person was empty-headed. It was like saying, you idiot. Um, I was at the football game just uh, the other night, and as we were walking, it was amazing. I was like, man, Lord, thank you so much that somebody's sinning. That's terrible. I'm sorry. But my point is, is that, so I'm walking with my family, and there's this gal who kind of cuts us off, and that's fine. Like, we're, we're dealing with it. And, but with, like, she's with her husband, and they're walking, and they're kind of like, you know, stumbling, and she says verbatim, you idiot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. I've been studying about this all week. Like, not that I, I want people to sin, but it's like, wow, what a perfect example. Um, but then, like, she goes a step further and it's like, shut up, you idiot, like all this kind of thing. And there's a lot of worse words. I don't have to spell them out for you that people have said or we have said before in our life, right? To say a similar thing as you idiot. And Jesus is saying, if you say that, you're answerable to the court. The court that's mentioned here is like the supreme court of the day. And it's kind of Jesus using hyperbole, kind of exaggerated language to say, this is how serious it is, you guys, that if you even just call somebody an idiot, you are answerable to the supreme court. Now, how crazy is that? That's how serious this is for God. And then the third manifestation of murder slash anger anyone who says you fool so even spelling it out further will be danger of in danger of the fire of hell so what's going on here i think that jesus is telling us how serious god is about our anger and how at the root of it all that even though anger as an emotion is not sin, like in its purest form, it's just a response to what we are experiencing. It's a nat emotions, they're a natural thing. Um, we can talk about emotional IQ another, another day. Uh, we won't talk about all of that today. So I'm not saying that emotions in and of themselves are wrong, but it's what we do with them. And so our point was reconciliation means seeing the outcome of our anger and choosing a different way. That different way, as we'll find out, is reconciliation because right relationships being brought together means, requires reconciliation. Otherwise, our anger breaks things up. It destroys things. It, our anger, uh, like it talks about, uh, in one of those verses that I put up there, in First John or James 3, it talked about how our words are like a fire. Well, fire is destructive, right? Um, 
And so, this reminds me of this question. You can go to the next slide. Do you ever wish you could go back and have a do-over? I, I had some of those thoughts this week, uh, you know, in other applications, but I had this thought of like, man, sometimes I say stupid things. Like, I'm being an idiot in that moment. And like, that's me just like, the lens is pointed at me and being like, man, what were you thinking when you said that to that person? And I think that's an important reflection for us in terms of this whole anger reconciliation thing is that do you ever wish you could go back and do it over? Because the truth of the matter is we can't. I wish we could. There's no time machine. We can't do it. Um, but we can learn from our mistakes. We can learn from our past and how we have responded before. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can choose a different way. That doesn't mean that we're not going to trip up. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fail. But it does mean that we have a helper who is empowering us for life and godliness. And we can prevent future needs for do-overs. We can choose a different way. Really quick before we move on, is that I was reminded this morning um, how, for me, this was probably 11 years ago now, no, 10 years ago, um, I was at a Christian camp, and I had rededicated my life to Christ. I had this sanctifying moment which, you know, I fully surrendered my heart and life to Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought, man, I am good to go. Things are great. Things are wonderful. And then my daughter Maggie was born. And I realized within a few short days how I still had stuff in me that I didn't know was there. Like, there was this anger inside of me because of this little baby who's just crying out for food or needing her diaper changed or needing swaddling or fill-in-the-blank thing of why she would be so distraught in that moment. And I had anger that I had to deal with and I had to repent of. And the beautiful thing, the thing I love about this rain is that God can forgive you and can wash you clean from those past mistakes. And so, and that's what reconciliation does, is it brings us back together with God and, as we'll see in a moment, brings us back together with other people. So, going to the next slide, the second thing we learn from our passage is that reconciliation means sacrificing our rights for the sake of relationships. What I mean by that is that there are times where we have every right to be angry. Somebody has hurt us. Somebody has wronged us. I was just at the pool with my kids yesterday, and my daughter accidentally, you know those little flotation device things that are like a little paddleboard, and when you put them underwater, if you let go of them, they can 
fly fast at somebody. Well, she accidentally let go of that and hit my son Reuben in the eye. And my son Reuben, he is so, he is so my child because he gets so emotional if you hurt him. And the thing is like, he just like instantly, he cried and knee-jerk reaction went into a blind rage of like, now I'm going to make you pay. And I'm like, oh, how do I stop this? And then everybody's like laser light looking at me <laughs> in the pool because it's like, how am I going to deal with my son who has just been hurt? Now, my son had every right to be angry. But what did he do with that anger? In that moment, he was in sin. Now, thankfully, there's grace for that, you know, with prevenient grace and all that. We can talk about that another time. But reconciliation means that even though we ha may have every single right to be angry, all the justification in the world, will we prioritize relationship over our rights? Now, we could choose to, to prioritize our rights, and that's our right to do so. God has given us free will and a choice to do that. Now, going on to the next slide, uh, St. Clement of Alexandria, one of the church fathers, he said this, quote, For the sake of each of us, he, meaning Christ, laid down his life worth no less than the universe, he demands of us in return our lives for the sake of each other. Meaning that Jesus laid down his life for us, and so Jesus expects that we would lay our lives down for the sake of others. Go to the next slide. The Apostle Paul echoed this by saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, go to the next slide. So, we're talking about this idea of sacrificing your rights for the sake of relationship. The image on the left, most of us were alive at that time. And it became one of those moments where you remember when you first heard when the two towers got crashed into. Now, the image on the right, there's this woman named Susan Reddick. Her husband, David, was on one of the flights that hit the two towers. So he died and was killed in the September 11th attack. But for her, something she discovered through her process of grief, where she had every right to be angry, somebody had stolen her husband from her and her children. What she decided to do with the help of another woman who was having similar feelings and epiphanies was that 
she decided to create this organization called Beyond the 11th. If you want to look at a documentary that just will blow your mind, it's called Beyond Belief. It was made 20 years ago or so. But what Susan Reddick and her friend Patty Quigley did is that they started this organization specifically to help widows and children whose husbands had been killed in, in battle or, you know, in wartime and whatnot in Afghanistan. And so I don't know, uh, it might cover it in the Beyond Belief thing, but I don't know if Susan Reddick is a Christian or not. But the testimony that she has is that she sacrificed her rights for the sake of somebody else, of the sake of healing relationships. Instead of taking up arms against the Afghan people, I'm not here to talk about war this morning, but instead of that response, what she decided to do was to turn that grief and that anger into an action that would actually bring healing to other people who face similar things that she did. And the beautiful thing that I see in that is that we have experienced the gospel. We as kingdom people, we have experienced Jesus and the gospel. And Jesus has given us that message of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. And so our call is to be reconciled to others, even when we have every right to stand our ground and say, yeah, but they did this to me. That doesn't mean that we have to forget it, but it does mean that we need to actively pursue forgiveness. And Jesus will cover that more in the Sermon on the Mount. The question that comes to me with this is, go to the next slide, how far is God asking you to go to make things right? Now, where I get this question from is that Jesus gives us a direct application to his followers there on the Sermon on the Mount. They were in the region of Galilee, which was about 80 to 100 miles north of Jerusalem. There was one altar in one place in the whole country they could go to give a sacrifice, to go and worship God. In what Jesus said in verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so they've made that trek already, and remember... My brother or sister has something against me. Jesus says, leave your goat or your cow or your whatever that you just brought, leave it there and go be made right with your brother or sister. That is going a whole bunch of a long way. How far is God asking you to go to make things right? Go to the next slide. The final thing we're going to cover is that reconciliation means settling our conflicts for the sake of freedom. Go, ahead and go to the next slide. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Galatians. He says, it is for freedom 
that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, Paul was writing about, you know, the gospel and he was talking about people teaching a false doctrine. So I recognize that, but I think that it still is applicable that those first words, it is for freedom. The purpose of the gospel is freedom for you and for me and for everybody. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we should pursue reconciliation. We should pursue practicing reconciliation and settling our conflicts for the sake of freedom. Go ahead and go to the next slide. As I was doing some research trying to find a good illustration of this, something I stumbled on was this picture and these two women from the Civil War. We have Julia Grant, who was the wife of General Ulysses S. Grant, uh, prominent in the Northern Army. <clears throat> then you have Verena Davis, wife of Confederate States President Jefferson Davis. What is fascinating to me, and I had no idea this was a, something that happened. So both of these men who married these women went to West Point. And after the Civil War, which was one of the goriest, most horrific conflicts that the U.S. ever went through, after the war, these women should have been enemies. But after the war, there was the celebration at West Point, and they met each other and instantly became friends and reconciled, if you will. Both the North and the South reconciled, brought together. And what I love about this picture is that from that ceremony on, they were inseparable. They discovered, oh, you live right down the street from me in New York. Like, and they did everything together. Now, when we reconcile with people, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be buddy-buddy with them. It might just mean that you forgive them and you let them go and you release them from that unforgiveness. <clears throat> but in the case of these women, where their husbands were diametrically opposed to each other in the war, they found a way to reconcile and to be brought together. So, go to the next slide. What does anger do in our life? It creates all kinds of problems. Um, if nothing else, it raises your blood pressure. Um, and that's a terrible thing. Uh, Angie and I have been dealing with that with her for a, a couple of years now, most recently with just anxiety. So anger can be a result of anxiety. Um, it can be something that uh, happens because, you know, you practice long-suffering and patience, and then something happens and you just snap. And usually, when that person snaps and has that knee-jerk reaction, usually it's because there's been this slow simmer, this grudge kind of anger happening in their life where they're always angry, and something happens and they crash and they break. Anger can do that in our lives if we don't handle it properly. Now, Scripture does say that there's a right way to be angry. 
We're not going to get into all of that today, but look it up sometime. It's really awesome. But the kind of anger that Jesus is talking about here, that grudge kind of anger, it can wreck your life. You know, everything might be all good above the iceberg. Might be like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not terrible. But then there's all this other stuff underneath that's building towards possibly breaking your life. So go to, go to the next slide. Is that, I have a question or two questions. The challenge and the call I believe Jesus is giving us with this passage He's asking us, will we choose the harder, less traveled path of reconciliation? Or will we choose the common path of resentment and retaliation? The choice is yours. But Jesus is clear, and I think that the rest of the Bible is clear as well, that God's kingdom is for reconciliation in all its many forms. And so as we close today, I want us to pray. Uh, we're not going to have the closing song, even though it was really awesome and really great and really beautiful and perfectly summarized all of my points. <laughs> Clearly. It, it really did. It was really great. But we're not going to do that. And But what I want us to do is I want us to pray, and then we're going to go and break bread together and share in a meal. And, um, but as we pray or after we pray, my challenge to you is to think about people in your life that you need to be reconciled with. And if you need to, you might already have your list as I've been talking this long amount of time. You might already have your list. But just jot down the names of those people and you know the situations that you need to be made right about. But my challenge to you is that today, don't let it go past today. Today, give them a call. Find a way to talk to them. If they choose not to talk to you, that's their business. But at least you respond and try for reconciliation. And that would be my challenge to you. And you don't have to accept it. You can be like, Pastor Tim, no. Nah, I just want my turkey and I want to go home and sleep. And you can be that way and that's fine. But I think Jesus wants to bring freedom to our lives today. I think that Jesus wants to bring healing to our relationships. I think that right relationship does require reconciliation. And so, with that, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, you are holy and good. Your ways are above our ways. And we worship you and we praise you this morning. Lord, have mercy on us sinners. For the times when we have been angry at other people, when we've received different types of hurt in our life and we've 
chosen to harbor resentment and hold a grudge against somebody. Lord, forgive us. Not because of anything we've done or any merit that we have earned in any way. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus and his blood that was poured out on the cross for our sins. Lord, that he took all our sin and all our shame to the cross. And he died on dark Calvary to pardon and sanctify me and my friends here this morning. Jesus, help us to walk this path of reconciliation, to honor this message that you have given us because of all the grace and the kindness and the mercy that you have shown us in reconciling us to the Father. Jesus, help us. Help us to be brave. Help us to be strong as we humbly go to those people that have things against us and we ask for forgiveness as we seek to make things right with them. Holy Spirit, would you empower us today to try our best. No, not to try our best. Lord, to try and yield our life to you so that your best can be seen through us. Not for our sake, but for yours, so that you could get all the praise and all the glory. Holy Spirit, would you walk with us going forward? Be with my friends today as they make those hard calls. And I pray, God, that you would bring healing to relationships today. God, that you would bring freedom. That next week when I see my friends here, God, that we would just, there would be a lightness to everything. God, that we would be set free. It's like we just want to dance. We just want to run. We want to be free and liberated because of all the good that you're doing in our lives through reconciliation. And God, for the times when we are angry and we let our anger go unbridled, Holy Spirit, hold us fast to you. Don't let us go. And help us and remind us to repent. And so God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you stand and receive this as your closing blessing as we look forward to that delicious turkey? I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about y'all. I love, love, love turkey and stuffing. I don't know if that's even down there, but I love it. Anyway, receive this as your blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week.